Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the podcast that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I am your host and creator of Dead Pilot Society, Andrew Reich. First of all, thank you to all of you who became new or upgrading monthly donors to Dead Pilot Society during the Maximum Fund Drive. We were honestly overwhelmed by how many of you stepped up contributing to the over 25,000 new and upgrading members network-wide. So thank you, thank you. It really keeps us going. Uh, I also want to uh, apologize for something. In our sales pitch for why you should contribute, Ben Blacker, my co-host, and I talked about how one of the places your donations go is to the improved sound quality of our pilot recordings since the early days of Dead Pilot Society. Unfortunately, that followed one of our rougher-sounding episodes uh, the month before, which was the recent calls of Annabelle Phipps. Great pilot, marred by some audio issues. Uh, Some of you commented on social media or on the reviews page on iTunes about it. We had a new sound engineer at the venue that day, and what can I say? It wasn't the best. Uh, Our pilot this time and our next pilot were recorded that same day, but they sound way better. We're really sorry. We hate it when that happens more than anyone We will do our best going forward so this doesn't happen again, we promise. So I'm coming to you uh, from the new agent list world of being a writer in Hollywood. I'm sure many of you are aware of the ongoing conflict between the Writers Guild and the talent agencies. All of us Guild members have had to terminate our agents. So if you are listening to this as an aspiring writer who is feeling bad about not having an agent, You can take comfort in the fact that right now no one does. Um, There are people who can speak much more intelligently than me about the issues at stake, so I won't really get into that. Uh, Personally, I feel lucky I'm not currently staffing a show or looking to staff on one. I'm actually writing something on spec for the first time in a very long time, which is both liberating and incredibly challenging. Uh, When you're writing for some corporate overseer, a studio or a network, it gives you an excuse to not always write up to your own true standards. You can end up thinking things like, you know, well, I don't love this, but it's just the kind of on-the-nose shit that they are looking for, or, you know, it's good enough, and they're probably going to make me change it anyway. I'm just being honest that these are the thoughts that writers have when they deliver drafts during development. But when you're writing just for yourself, you don't have that external scapegoat that you can use to justify your creative compromises and you have to call yourself on your own bullshit a lot more. And it's really hard. Um, I started talking about the talent agency situation because as I've been sitting in front of my computer every day, struggling with the crippling self-doubt and despair that so often accompany writing, it just makes me think that you really can't overstate the importance of writers to this whole business. And I I hope that doesn't sound self-aggrandizing and I'm not even really talking about myself uh, so much as just collect writers collectively. And I know this isn't exactly an original thought, but nothing happens without us. I mean, the contributions of actors and directors and the craftspeople, obviously all tremendously important, but no one else starts from nothing. Nothing. It's a very hard place to start from. So if writers collectively are saying that we're really unhappy about something, it needs to be taken very seriously. And I'm sorry if that's a message from Captain Obvious. Um, One of the best things about doing this 
Dead Pilot Society podcast for me is getting to meet amazing writers who I didn't know before, and that is definitely the case with this episode. Our Dead Pilot this time is Yogurt World by Colleen McGinnis, who is just a delight. I don't know what to say. She's she's a delight. Uh, If you are a 30 Rock fan, stay tuned after the read for my longer interview with Colleen. There's some really great inside 30 Rock material, and I love getting to talk to her about how intimidating it is to join the writing staff staff of uh, an established show late in its run because I had to do that too. Um, Also, there are some interesting parallels I find between Yogurt World, this pilot, and American Alien, uh, Sierra Ornalis' pilot from a few months back. Does anyone uh, out there want to write a term paper on that? Uh, Could be good. Our cast, Britt Lauer from Man Seeking Woman as Audrey Mills, Danny Pudi from Community as Chris Amanda Lund from Goosebumps and Ghost Girls as Lisa. Brad Morris from Great News and Playing House as Bucky. David Walton from The New Girl as Seth. And filling out the cast, playing various other roles, Ethan Peck from Star Trek Discovery. Andy Ridings from The Other Two. And Keiko Agena from Gilmore Girls. So here is Ben Blacker's live interview with Colleen McGinnis from the Hayworth Theater in Los Angeles, followed by Yogurt World after a brief message. Hey, we're Ben and Adam, and we're here to tell you about our Star Trek podcast, The Greatest Generation. Why should I listen to a Star Trek podcast? You may be asking yourself. Well, ours is actually good and funny. We joke around, we uh, we have a lot of fun, we talk about film production techniques that are used in Star Trek. We love to break down the stories and the characters, and we just have a blast while we're doing it. It's kind of like sitting around with a couple of buds, having a beer, and talking about an episode of one of your favorite shows. So go to MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to The Greatest Generation. Yeah, whatever you're using to listen to this, just have it find us and subscribe. Colleen, when did you write this pilot and what were, what is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> I wrote it in 2015. Um, what was I, the impetus for it? Well... I had written a short story that was about a girl who worked at a frozen yogurt shop, and she was just kind of, you know, angry at the world, and it's kind of a violent short story, and it's something that is used as a (laughs) sample, oddly, for comedy. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) And at some point, an executive said, why don't you do something with this short story? You know, I'm talking fucked up, bloody, weird, let's make it, and... I mean, it didn't get made. <laughs> and so it, I did think about what he was saying. You know, it was that idea that, like, let's do non network for network, which I don't recommend. Um, but uh, I thought about Carrie, you know, the Stephen mm. King book and movie, and I always loved it. And I just thought it would be cool maybe to blend genres and, you know, that this could be a story about a, a girl who finds out that she's telekinetic. Um, but not that she wants to be. She's kind of like, ugh, it sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> and so that's kind of where it came from. Uh, and what was the process? Who did it sell to? Um, it sold to, I did it with Universal and Fox. Okay. Um, and did you pitch it? Did you write it first and then sell it? Um, I pitched it. Oh, and luckily, I had Matt Damon in the room with me, which was huge. I recommend that. <laughs> How did that happen? Um, you know, I had met with him about a project that he and Jennifer Todd, who ran his company at the time, were doing. 
And it wasn't something that I felt like I could write, but obviously he's an amazing human being. And so when uh, Universal was saying, who do you want as your producers? I said, what about Matt Damon? <laughs> What's he doing? And it, it was, it was uh, such a lovely process. He was such a nice guy and was a, was a real sport and uh, it was a lot of fun. Did, did they as producers really walk you through that process? Like, were they creative partners in that way? Yes. I mean, they were, they were just very, uh, very supportive, ultimately. I remember the first time we got in the room, it was me, Matt, and Jen, and he said, this is it. These are the only people you're ever going to get notes from, and we just want you to make your show where you want to make it. Um, we just want to back you up. We want to do it the way you want to, which was such a lovely you know, mindset. Yeah. So they made it a really nice process. That's really great. Um, was it a good process all the way through, uh, even after it sold? Yes, yeah, it was, I mean, Universal I had worked with before, and uh, it was Tracy Pacosta and Andy Wheel at the time, and they were great, and um, Fox, it was Susanna Mekos and uh, Jonathan Gabay, who were also lovely, everyone gave smart notes, but um, I think A, as you noted, it's just a weird pilot, <laughs> and so I think that from day one, it was considered a long shot, and then B, at some point, we heard that Dana Walden had taken over. She wasn't just running the studio now. Now she was running Fox. And I was told she's probably not going to pick up any of this development because it's not hers. Which we hear again and again, obviously, on Dead Pilot Society, that a new regime will come in or a change will be made. And they don't want to pick up anything by the people who were there two months ago. Right. <laughs> it makes no sense. Right, right. Totally. Those are still quality products. Um, I'm curious to hear what kind of notes you got on this. Um, I think, I think it was mostly, there were two sets I remember. One was on the action scenes. I think, again, it went from that, like, one executive being like, make it like Tarantino, to them being like, can we just go a little less violent, <laughs> you know, a little lighter? Um, make it network, without saying that. And then the second was about the main character, actually. I remember that they really wanted her to have, the phrase was, a a comedic point of view. Mm -hmm. And I think really they wanted her to be a big personality. And I, the whole thing for this character for me was that she's kind of a slacker, she's a little yeah. bit passive, and that life is kind of tugging her into action and that we get to see her arc. So I was a little bit resistant to that, but I tried to, you know, write more jokes and make sure we knew her point of view. Yeah. But for this draft, I did go back. Nice. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and sort of undid a couple of notes. So I just felt like, you know, on like I love uh, Seinfeld, for example. I don't feel like Seinfeld was the craziest guy in the room. Right. And I felt like same thing with this character that um, part of it is her being surrounded by other crazy people. And they are great. It's a great supporting cast, too. Uh, and we have a terrific cast to play for. So, uh, you sort of saw the writing on the wall, it sounds like, uh, a few months before or sometime before decisions were made. What, so it wasn't surprising to you that it didn't get picked up? Not particularly, especially when, like, you know, that time when pilots start getting picked up and you start checking deadline and it's like, <laughs> big changes at Fox. And I was right. like, oh, and I'm calling my agent. Is this going to affect? No, 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 no. It's going to be fine. And then more headlines. Huge changes at Fox. <laughs> this person out. This per And I was like, oh, that's not great. But, yeah. um, you know, it is what it is. And it's such a long shot to get something produced and made. And that's why it's so nice that you guys do this and that we get to hear it out loud with these actors. Well, we're lucky to have such high quality scripts. Thank you for letting us do it. Colleen McGinnis, Thank everyone. Thank all right, this is Yogurt World, written by Colleen McGinnis. Act one, we fade in news footage. A local weatherman, 
Chuck gives his daily forecast. Causing record sun activity today. I'm talking about sunspots that correspond to concentrations of magnetic field. Highly unusual. <laughs> hey, does anyone get nervous about this stuff? I mean, the sun is going nuts today. There are too many plastic bags. We're the next dinosaurs! We're all gonna die! The new thing comes on and Chuck snaps back to cheerful. I'm Chuck Chuckington with the weather. Chip and Charla, back to you. And we transition to Yogurt World in Los Angeles. This local newscast plays on a large flat screen TV, which hangs on the wall of this Yogurt World, a frozen yogurt shop in the middle of a strip mall. It's bright, clean, and does good business. The yogurt and toppings bar are self-serve. We see Audrey, a Yogurt World employee, lean on the counter. Audrey's smart, outspoken, and scrappy. She's someone who's had to fight to get by. But Audrey's stuck. She doesn't know what she wants to do. Most days, she feels like she's going nowhere, and life is passing her by. In comparison, her coworker Lisa is a gorgeous airhead with plenty of charisma who seems to breeze through life. Though Lisa's not the brightest bulb, she has a genuine sweetness about her. Bucky, their clean-cut, neurotic, overthinking coworker, sweeps the floor. They all have an affectionate aggravation towards each other and try to get through the drudgery of their job by making it as fun as they can. Audrey watches the weather report. Whatever happened to weather girls? I mean, now I've got all these hunky weather men. Why is that? Weather girls are a male fantasy. Girls don't care about the weather. Yes, we do. <laughs> okay, well, we care in a fashion way, like um, what will I wear if it rains, but not what causes hailstorms. Science things do. She makes a boring face. Audrey tries to contain herself. <clears throat> Lisa, when you say things like that, you reinforce negative stereotypes and gender inequality. Audrey, I just told you I don't care about science things, but you keep talking about them. Gen gender inequality is not science. Stop! There you go again. Maybe weather girls became obsolete because of internet porn. Oh! Oh! I do not like the way you said porn. What's... What's wrong with how I say porn? Oh, it's gross. No, it's, it's not. Listen again, porn. Nope. You can't say that word. But you can have other words like uh, uh, jurisdiction or exemplary. I can't say those words. <laughs> those words are boring. Okay, what about breast? No, not a word for you. Ugh. No. Horny? No, you're making me hate sex. <sighs> okay, I see what's going on. You girls don't want me to say any words that are sexual in nature. That seems to be the pattern, yes. I Guess what? Like it or not, I am a sexual being. Mm. Who regularly mm. has sex for free. And that's a normal way to say it? <laughs> Suddenly they all get pelted with Nerf gun pellets. They react, yelling and covering their heads. <laughs> <laughs> Gather around, everyone. Hashtag staff meeting. Hashtag blessed. We reveal their immature boss, Seth, firing the Nerf gun at them. A word about Seth. In the midst of a midlife crisis, Seth wants to be hip. He rides a motorcycle, but unfortunately, he's a total tool. He wears a Kangol hat. With him is Chris, who is cute, friendly, and excitable like a golden retriever. All right, I'd like you all to meet... Chris, okay, he's your newest co-worker. He just moved here from Wisconsin. Chris, this is Lisa, Bucky, and Audrey, the Yogurt World family. Hi, guys. I'm psyched to get started. Frozen yogurt's my favorite food. They all stare back at him, weirded out by his enthusiasm. 
Uh, now, Chris, here's your first test. Try and guess who everyone is based on my honest and fair descriptions. Okay. Um, you must be Bucky. How do you know? <laughs> Duh, you're the only guy. <laughs> and Seth said you'd have girly arms. Bucky, annoyed, glares at Seth. Chris points to Lisa. And you're Lisa. Obviously, I said the hot one's name is Lisa. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't see women that way. I try to see what's inside. Their bras. <laughs> no, their hearts. Chris focuses on Audrey. Um, so you must be Audrey? You're the one who... Um, who Always brings your ugly dog to work. Well, not, not today. Biscuit's sick. I took him to the vet this morning. Audrey, please. No one wants to hear about your stupid dog. I do. <laughs> um, I had to leave mine behind in Wisconsin, and I, I miss him so much. I mean, after all, a man's or woman's best friend is their dog. Oh, that is baloney. Some dog made that up. Now, <laughs> oh, this morning, a new mandate was issued to all Yogurt World's effective today. Okay, from now on, free samples will be limited to two per customer. Oh. But people usually Seriously? want more than two. <laughs> they want three or four, then a date, and then based on his nose, I make a decision. People aren't going to like this, and they're really not going to like us when we tell them. I have an idea. No. We should make a sign so customers can see the rule for themselves. It might minimize arguments. No, it wouldn't. I think that's a great idea. Then we'll make a sign. That's great work, Chris. All right, great first day, everyone. <laughs> Seth heads back to his office. Chris pulls Audrey aside. Wow. Seth's kind of a jerk to you. Oh, yeah, he hates me, but, you know, it's okay. I'm used to it. How could anyone hate you? Let's just say Seth wanted to hire a different kind of girl, literally. We flash back to Yogurt World a year ago. Audrey stands behind the counter and smiles as Seth walks in. He does a double take. No, 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 no. I, I hired a hot girl named Aubrey. Who are you? Oh, I'm Audrey. I, I guess there's been a mistake. Oh! Why is everything in my life so terrible? Seth knocks over a bunch of yogurt cups in a fit of rage. And we go back to present day. Okay, well, I'm glad you work here. I mean, otherwise, you know, we wouldn't have met. He winks, flirting with her. Are you always this nice? No, I'm usually nicer. <laughs> but I don't want to freak everyone out on the first day. Too late. Her phone rings and she picks up. Hello? Oh, yeah, I'll be right there. Uh, I have to go. Will you cover? Chris nods, and Audrey runs out upset. The door opens for her like it's automatic, except it's not an automatic door. Confused, Chris tries to make it open again by stepping on the ground repeatedly, but no luck. Meanwhile, a patron enters, pushes the door open, and slams Chris in the head. <laughs> we go to the veterinary hospital later. It's a room full of caged dogs and cats. Audrey pets her mutt, Biscuit, through the cage he's in. Note, a running joke in the show is that Biscuit's so ugly, people often jump back in horror when they see him. The vet, a very small, serious man, talks to Audrey. It doesn't sound good. 
So uh, Biscuit needs surgery immediately, or he won't make it. Sur surgery? Wow. Okay. It'll cost around a thousand dollars. What? I don't. I don't have that kind of money. I work at Yogurt World. Oh my God! I love Yogurt World. <laughs> I always get the original, no toppings. But sometimes, I add gummy bears. That's that's fun, fun. Uh, look, I can't afford that. Are there any other options? Uh, do you have pet insurance? Oh my God, no! I don't even have dental. Oh yes, I see. Like your teeth are so great. They are. I, I use Invisalign. Oh, your teeth are beautiful. <laughs> you really do hold all the cards here, don't you, Doc? Well, I wish I could make this easier for you, Audrey, uh, but universal pet care is not a priority in this country. <laughs> all we care about is people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'll be back tomorrow. Biscuit's going to get that surgery. Audrey pets Biscuit goodbye and exits. We're in the yogurt world. The gang is at the register. Audrey downloads about Biscuit, but the gang is slightly distracted. They're watching two douchey guys in jean shorts taste their free samples. I mean, where am I going to get that kind of money? We could, you know, we could rob a casino, but there's only four of us, not 11. Does anyone have other friends? That's their second free sample, right? Yep. So who's going to tell them no thirdsies? Are you guys even listening? I am. Okay, Audrey, my mom always says when you need money... Don't depend on yourself. Ask a man. So you should ask Seth for a loan. Seth? No way. Uh, he loaned me money once. I needed a lawyer so I could get a restraining order from my ex. If a guy named Christian Gray ever calls, I do not work here. Audrey gives her a questioning look as the two guys approach the counter. You can tell they're going to be obnoxious. Hey, can we get more sample cups? The gang looks at each other. No one says anything, then... Can you excuse us for a minute? The slick guys exchange looks as the gang forms a huddle. Look, I don't mind being the bad guy, but since I'm new, maybe I shouldn't go first? Bucky? Uh, guys in groups of two or more or less scare me, so no. <laughs> Lisa? My boobs hurt. <laughs> Fine. I'll do it. I'll be the bad cop. They all turn and look at Audrey, impressed. Audrey glances at the two douchey guys. The gang scatters, not wanting to get involved. <laughs> Hello, gentlemen. So, unfortunately, we have a new rule. It's, it's right there. It says, limit two free samples per customer. So sorry. Seriously? That sucks. So did the new Facebook layout, but then uh, we got used to it. No, I still hate it. <laughs> Hey, come on, babe. Can you just hook us up? He puts his hand on hers. Audrey pulls away, annoyed. You're both tall white men with hair in America. Do you really need more favors from this world? <laughs> what a bitch. Hey, maybe you can get away with that trash mouth at Pinkberry, but Yogurt World is a family place. She points to a sign on the wall that says, Yogurt World, a family place. The photo shows a very Jewish-looking man, his hot Asian wife, and their attractive biracial kids. Are you playing hard to get? Gary here's got a pretty big pipe. Why don't you sample that? The guys start laughing. Audrey is furious. <laughs> oh, you are so gross. You're probably excited about that Entourage movie, aren't you? Chris bounds over, sensing trouble. Everything okay? 
No. Can you ring these jerkos up? Thanks. Chris takes over as Audrey turns to Bucky and Lisa. Bucky, it's your turn. And have fun, because that vet was right. People are the worst! Audrey steps away. We follow her as she pauses outside of Seth's door. At a loss, she pauses, then knocks. I'm naked, come in! <laughs> Audrey sighs and enters, and we go into Seth's office. It's as cheesy as you'd expect. There are rap posters, a photo of Kate Moss, crappy Mr. Brainfreeze-style art, and a shelf filled with multiple Kangol hats in different colors. <laughs> Seth sits at his desk and looks up at Audrey. So what up? You want to raise? No, I, I uh, was... You know what the divorce taught me? Women always want something. Money, power, the karaoke machine, even though they only use it to sing along to Frozen. Okay, Seth, Seth, <laughs> Seth. Will you advance my salary? My dog needs surgery. Ooh, yeah. No, I can't help you. I'm a cat person. <laughs> but Lisa said you loaned her money once. Uh, that's because Lisa's special. Lisa is going places. Right. Yeah, no, I forgot you're from the 1940s. Loretta's legs just won't quit. That broad is going places. Audrey, I can't invest in just anyone. Take the art I collect. He gestures towards the wall, and Audrey looks at one of Seth's stupid paintings. Each of these pieces will be worth millions one day, and that's what the artist told me. Audrey stares at the painting and suddenly it falls off the wall and crashes to the ground. Seth immediately freaks out. Oh! Urban Prius! No! That's the ugliest effing painting I've ever seen! You get out of my office! Yep! <laughs> Audrey steps into the back room. She's not a crier, but in this moment, with everything that's happened today, she feels like shit. There's a beat, and the two jerky guys from before enter and sit down, smirking at her. She is not in the mood. Then guy number two purposely dumps some of his yogurt on the floor. Hey, babe, the floor's a mess. Will you clean it up? Audrey keeps ignoring them. Guy number one snaps his fingers at her. I'm talking to you. Isn't this your job? What, you think you're special or something? Suddenly, in this moment, something inside of Audrey snaps. They just picked the wrong moment to mess with her. She looks at guy number one, who keeps snapping his fingers and smirking. And suddenly, his entire yogurt cup flies right into his face. It's clear to the audience that Audrey just orchestrated this with her mind. Audrey looks surprised at what she's just done. Did that really happen? Guy number two starts laughing, and Audrey turns her attention to him. Immediately, his chair goes flying out from, from under him, and he falls hard on his butt. Guy number one stands up and wipes the yogurt off his face. Audrey quickly makes the gummy worms from his yogurt jump out and cling to his face. He tries to pull them off, but he can't. Next, kiwi slices spring from his cup and stick to his butt. He grabs at them, but they won't budge. Guy number two stands up and tries to help his friend until Audrey makes his yogurt spill all over the front of his pants. Cocky guys a minute ago, they are now near tears. Audrey stops in shock, but gathers her composure. I guess I'll clean up now. She smiles at the guys. They look at her, humiliated. Witch! They race out of the store. Audrey tries to process what has just happened when she hears a noise behind her. She turns to see Chris standing in the doorway of the bathroom, <laughs> jaw to the floor. He saw everything. We cut to black, end of act one. Act two, we fade in. We're interior yogurt world. Chris is staring at Audrey in disbelief. Holy crap. That was like magic. Yeah, was that Penn and Teller? I mean, they look different in real life. No, 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 no. You did that. That wasn't magic. 
It was real. You're like Carrie. Oh, thank you. You know, everyone says I'm a Charlotte, but that's just because I have brown hair. No, 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 no. I meant, I meant Stephen King's Carrie. You're telekinetic, aren't you? I don't know. All I did was picture throwing yogurt in an a-hole's face and then it happened, so I'm kind of freaking out here. Wait, did I take drugs or something? Are we at Coachella? Did I miss the good bands? Okay, okay, just try to calm down. How can I? That was insane. Oh God, um, I'm probably gonna die. All those characters with powers die at the end. Carrie dies, Harry Potter dies. No, he doesn't. Okay, well, I don't know. I haven't finished the books. Which one are you on? I read the first one, back cover. Okay, it sounds really good. It's amazing. They're all amazing. Uh, really? Yeah, what's wrong with you? Uh, okay, look, Audrey. <laughs> Clearly, you have some kind of gift, and you're in luck because I am an expert in this kind of thing. I've spent my whole life reading comic books and fantasy novels. <sighs> I knew it wasn't a waste of time, Principal Tristani! <laughs> So, I can be helpful to you, like um, a superhero's confidant. Yeah, but I'm not a superhero. I'm boring and normal. Well, isn't there anything weird about you? Oh, come on, think. Mm, I check my closet every night to make sure there's not a murderer waiting inside. Well, that's reasonable. Okay, what else? Um, I kind of hate everything. Is that weird? Like what? Um, I hate talking on the phone, I hate talking to people, I hate frozen yogurt, I hate talking to people about frozen yogurt. So you're anxious and cranky, but a relatively normal person, which makes you like Harry Potter, ah. which means I get to be Hermione. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, you want to come over tonight? We can research all of this and... No, I don't want this to happen again. Please, can you just forget about it, okay? Clearly freaked out, she walks away. Chris watches, wounded. But I'm Hermione. <laughs> In Yogurt World later, the gang is back to work at the front of the store. A young hot girl approaches the counter, finishing off her second free sample. Bucky, it's your turn to enforce the new policy. Oh, come on. I, I don't want to tell her no. She's so pretty. So? You made me turn down that kid in a wheelchair, remember? And he was a total dick. Bucky looks up, then sighs in frustration. The gang watches him amused. Hot girl has an annoying, sexy baby voice. Uh, can I have another cup thing <laughs> Bucky freezes, nervous. Everyone looks at him expectant. I'm sorry, but we can only allow two free samples per customer. He lamely points to the sign. The hot girl pouts. But you'll make an exception for me, right? <laughs> she leans into Bucky and says, all breathy. I just want to try chocolate fudge brownie. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, that would look really good on you. He starts to hand over the sample cup when Chris jumps in. Nope. Rules apply to everyone, miss. Even you. <laughs> Are you new here? Straight out of Wisconsin. That's right. Wisconsin, do you get it, right? No, that was dumb. <laughs> You're really funny, too. Maybe I can show you around town. 
She writes her number down on a napkin and gives it to Chris. Audrey rolls her eyes. Thank you. Oop, we are out of serving cups. Uh, let me get some more. I'll get them, as much as I enjoy watching this nonsense. Ooh, maybe I can draw you around town. Let's get sushi and then go to the club. Are you jealous? No. Audrey, I'll go clubbing with you. Never. Audrey rolls her eyes and heads to the back. Chris smiles. We angle on Audrey walking into the supply closet. She looks at the cups, causing a large stack to fly off the shelf. But they don't fly neatly. They span out wildly in different directions. Audrey closes her eyes, freaked out. She clearly doesn't have full control over her powers. There's a beat. She opens her eyes and picks up the cups slowly, shaken. We go back to the counter. The hot girl is left. Bucky holds up the napkin, wistful. Your first day, and you get a napkin from a hot girl. I'm going to die alone. Here, you call her. I'm already working on something. He motions towards the supply closet. Audrey, Lisa, and Bucky exchange looks. I hate to say this, but don't bother. Audrey never dates anyone. Why not? She's kind of a loner. She has brown hair. <laughs> What do you mean, a loner? When it's closing time, she always just races out the door. She's very private. I don't even know when her birthday is. Does she even have a birthday? Chris studies Audrey, who walks towards them with all the cups. There's just something about her that he likes. She catches him staring and gives him an annoyed look. Then she glances up at the clock. It reads 6.01 p.m. Oh, six o'clock. Not my turn to close out, so I'll see you suckers tomorrow. <laughs> Bye, Audrey. Uh, it was a pleasure working with you today. She gives him a look, throws off her apron, and rushes out. Chris smiles, undeterred. See? I think she likes me. And we go to Audrey's apartment later. In her tiny studio apartment, it's no wonder no one's been here. The bathroom is practically in the kitchen. Audrey's on the couch, on the phone, leaving a message. Dean, hey, uh, <clears throat> it's your sister. I don't know if this is still your number, but please call me back, okay? I need to borrow some money. Also, I bought you birthday presents for the last three years if you want them. Uh, wait, uh, one of them was a cookie bouquet, so I ate it. Bye. She hangs up defeated. Her phone rings. It says, unknown caller. Hello? We intercut with Chris's apartment. He's sitting on his couch, a big smile on his face. Audrey? It's Chris from Yogurt World. We met this morning. How did you get my number? Oh, from the employee contact sheet. Oh, I thought I gave a fake one. I'll change it tomorrow. Bye. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, I was calling in case you changed your mind about tonight. Maybe you're home, sitting on your couch alone, missing your dog. Audrey looks around, realizing this is strangely accurate. That is not at all what I'm doing. Oh. Uh, what are you doing? I'm, uh, I'm actually at a party. Yeah, I love this song! Yeah, we need more dip, Carl! This party rocks! I love this dip, Carl. <laughs> uh, Audrey, you, you don't have to pretend to be at a party to impress me. Fine. 
But Chris, I can't go on a date right now. I'm trying to get money for biscuit surgery, okay? And I hate talking on the phone. That's pretty mean to say to someone over the phone. What's well, not personal? I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Look, I know you've got a lot going on, but I have an idea about how to help Biscuit. You'd have to use your powers, though. No way. Really? I mean, wouldn't you do anything for your dog? I would. Audrey Torn sees the empty dog bowls in her kitchen, then sees a picture of Biscuit, who looks so ugly in the photo. <laughs> how about I text you my address? Okay, fine, but this isn't a date, okay? It's a date, then. See you later. He hangs up. Chris? Hello? Idiot. But she smiles. In Chris's apartment later that night, he opens the door to find Audrey. Wow. You look great. Sorry about the mess. I just moved in. Audrey enters and looks around at the piles of comic books, action figures, and unpacked boxes. Oh, and candles. Chris is trying to make this romantic. She sits on the couch. Yeah, it's fine, but there's, there's just too many candles. It's like a lady lawyer on TV is about to take a bath. <laughs> I just took one, actually. <laughs> you want a beer? She nods and he hands her a beer and puts down a plate of tater tots in front of them. Chris sits looking serious with the legal pad and pen. Okay, so let's get started. Now, you should know that my favorite comic book is called TK and the Bear. Okay, it's about a telekinetic orphan boy who was raised by a bear. Do you know it? No. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> okay, when TK first discovers he has powers, he's scared. But then the bear helps him, and TK saves the world. So it might take time for you to get used to your powers, but maybe you could save the world someday. Okay, well, that sounds great, but I have bigger problems. Bigger than saving the world? Well, like I told you, I don't really like people, but I love my dog. So if I were a dog, would you like me better? Definitely. Okay, on to my questions. Audrey, did you ever think there was uh, something special about yourself lying in wait? Like Harry Potter? <laughs> no. No, I've never felt special. Everyone deserves to feel special sometimes. I mean, don't your parents love you enough? Yeah, well, uh, <clears throat> my parents died in a car accident when I was 12. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. But wait, that means you're an orphan! <laughs> yes? So my brother and I went to live with... Um, wait, you have a brother? Twin brother, actually. Dean... We went to live with my aunt and uncle. Like the Dursleys. <laughs> Sorry, uh, let's go over this. Okay, you're an orphan, you have special powers, and you're reluctant to use them. It all makes sense, don't you see? Not really. She pops a tater tot in her mouth. They're pretty good. You fit the profile. You're destined for something big, Audrey. Does this something big have a dental plan? Because people are noticing that this front tooth, like right here, it looks kind of like a fang. This is a huge deal, and you're acting like it's nothing. I know it's not nothing, okay? But when you say things like, save the world, it kind of freaks me out, Chris. I barely graduated college. My idea of fancy is buying tissues with lotion. <laughs> and one time, a psychic fell asleep while predicting my future. 
No one expects anything from me, okay? And I kind of like it that way. See, I feel like I'm, feel like I'm already disappointing you. My bad. I was just excited. Hey, let's, uh, let's take a walk. I mean, there are too many candles in here. Audrey looks at the candles, and they immediately blow out. Oh, cool. Sorry, I just hated them so much. <laughs> We're exterior on the street. Audrey and Chris walk and talk, and ease growing between them. Okay, now, now I have a question about my powers or whatever. Why did they start today? I was thinking about this earlier, and you know, there was this record sun activity today. So, a reasonable theory could be, at some point in your life, you were exposed to a coronal mass ejection from the sun, which altered your electrical system, and your powers were like a latent gene that were activated by today's sunspots. Audrey stops, looking at him. Chris gets excited. Is that accurate? Have you been in direct contact with sun particles? No. I'm just surprised you know all that stuff. No offense. Uh, it's, it's okay. People ever think I'm smart because I'm from the Midwest. They think you have to be from, I don't know, New York. Yeah, like a law and order judge or a Tenenbaum. <laughs> Truth is, I want to be a surgeon, so I'm saving for grad school. <laughs> Nerd alert. I know. What do you want to do? I don't know. I always have to work dumb jobs for money. Sometimes I worry I'll never do anything important with my life. Chris looks at her, surprised to see her vulnerable side. I mean, I have ideas for what I want to do, but it's, it's hard to make things happen. I know what you mean, but we got to take risks in life. Chris, inspired, kisses her. She pulls away with disgust. Oh, what's wrong? I thought that we were connecting. I'm sorry. This is okay. Why is your mouth so wet? I have active salivary glands. <laughs> it's a sign of good health. Okay. 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 Um, all right. Yeah, we're here. This is the plan. He points to a 7-Eleven a few feet away. Audrey looks confused. Inside the 7-Eleven, it's empty except for two employees. Chris whispers. Okay, the plan is, you're going to rob the register with your mind. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing that. Why? All you have to do is create a few distractions and bam, open the register. Chris, I can't. It's wrong. I get that you're scared, but... Hey, is this... Is this a woman thing? I mean, haven't you read Lean In? You need to sit at the table. How do you have all this time to read? Okay, let's look at the facts. You work a dead-end job, your boss is a jerk, and no one's ever cut you a break? This resonates with Audrey. All of today's shitty events flash through her mind. Magazines suddenly fly off the shelves. The 7-Eleven employees react. Audrey shakes it off. Are you going to let life pass you by? Your dog's going to die unless you do something. So do something! This gets to her. Suddenly, it's like the store has come alive. The security cameras go down. Employee number one gets his shirt caught in the hot dog machine. Employee number two tries to free him when the Slurpee machine turns on, pouring Slurpees everywhere. Audrey looks at the register and starts to open it when, bam, employee number two slips on the Slurpee mess and knocks a rack of snacks over. Audrey stops all activity and rushes out. Chris follows her. We're exterior of the 7-Eleven. Chris catches up with Audrey, who wheels around on him. I, could, I couldn't go through with it, okay? I don't want to be telekinetic. There's a beat, and Chris starts laughing. Audrey looks at him <laughs> like, what? This was all just a test. Okay. In TK and the Bear, Volume 3, TK's mentor gives him a morality test to see if TK will use his powers for good or for evil. 
So you passed. What? What about all the money for my dog? I thought you were actually going to try to help me. She walks away, leaving Chris feeling terrible. <sighs> wow, she really hates you, man. Chris turns to see a 7-Eleven guy watching and smoking a cigarette. Thanks, 7-Eleven guy. Don't call me that. <laughs> right, sorry. And he walks away, sad, and we fade out, end of act two. It's act three, we fade into Yogurt World. Audrey enters the storage closet and grabs more spoons. She hears a knock as someone enters. Oh, closet, man! She realizes it's Chris. <laughs> it's just you. Audrey, um, I'm sorry about last night. I told you I'd help you, and I didn't. So, here. He hands her a check. It's for $1,000. Um, how did you get this? I sold a bunch of my comic books on Craigslist to a guy named Craig, ironically. <laughs> I should have asked his last name. What if it's Slist? Wow, thank you. This is, this is the nicest thing anyone's ever done for me. Well, I think you're pretty great. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I made fun of your mouth. I mean, it wasn't that wet. There's a beat of romantic tension between them. I know it's none of my business what you do with your powers, but I think you should use them. Yeah, but it's so much responsibility. I mean, half the time I steal rolls of toilet paper from work because I forget to buy more. All I have in my fridge is a block of cheese and a Brita that's empty because I'm too lazy to refill it. Wow, you're building a good case. But I think you could handle it. Look, I know this seems cool to you, but if I start using these powers, everything's gonna change. Change isn't always a bad thing. Yeah, but for now, I think I'm just gonna stay regular old Audrey. I'm only gonna use my powers if it's, you know, absolutely necessary. I understand. Regardless, I'll always be your Hermione. Uh, well, you could have picked Ron, you know. I thought you hadn't read the books! I fell asleep during one of the movies. What? How could you take your eyes off of Alan Rickman? We go back to the counter. Bucky, nervous, is facing a tough-looking guy who wants another free sample. Sorry, sir. Uh, there's a new limit on free samples, so it's going to be only two. What'd per... you say, little man? <laughs> um, <clears throat> I said, take as much as you want. All oh, the yogurt is free. He puts his head down on the counter. Lisa steps in. Sorry, we have a new policy, sir. Only two free samples per customer. Okay. <laughs> then let me ask you, is mint marshmallow any good? It sure is. Here, do you want a free sample? <laughs> she starts to give him another free sample. How's it going, gang? Seth, my man, this free sample limit is not working. We're and not used to people hating us. We're not you. Excuse me? Okay, maybe we could adjust the sign. It could read limit one free sample, but then we tell people they can have an extra one just to imply that, you know, that customer is an exception. You know, people like to feel special, right? She inadvertently glances at Chris, still touched by his gesture. He smiles at her, and she immediately looks away. Yeah, we're not doing that. 
Audrey immediately drops this warmer outlook on life. All right, well, fine. I have to leave early because my dog is getting surgery. Then you can refill the toppings bar. Everyone else can go out for sushi and brainstorm solutions. Wait, wait, Seth. Uh, I think we should change the sign. It's a great idea. Seth stops annoyed. Lisa agrees with Chris. Yeah, Audrey's smart. She's like one of those stuffed owls that wears a graduation cap <laughs> and glasses. She's probably smarter than that owl. All right, I, I'll think about it over sushi, which Audrey is not invited to. I'll meet you guys outside. He heads into the bathroom. Bucky approaches Audrey. Seth's the worst, Audrey. I'm sorry. Yeah, if I were you, I wouldn't clean up. No, trust me. This place is going to look perfect. Oh, thank you. I'm not perfect, but I try. <laughs> Lisa, Lisa and Bucky exit. Audrey, pissed, focuses on the toppings bar. Chris looks at her, then realizes with delight what's about to happen. Sure enough, Audrey goes against her word and uses her powers to instantly refill the toppings bar. When she finishes, she winks at Chris, who is loving it. Seth steps out of the bathroom. Hey, Seth, I, uh, I finished. Is there anything else that you need? Yeah, right. What? What? That is impossible. You helped her. Nope. No, she was just really fast. Audrey's a special girl, Seth. You guys aren't becoming best friends, are you? Because I thought maybe you and I could become best friends. Maybe. I'm, I don't have a best friend right now. I mean, I wish I did, though. He looks at Audrey, hopeful. Audrey rolls her eyes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right, let's sit next to each other at sushi and see. <laughs> and then we can see if we mesh. Dude, yes, be right there. Seth runs Ugh. out, excited. Chris turns to Audrey. Ugh, I would never be his best friend. He's so mean to you. Yeah. Hey, Chris, as my guide or whatever, would you say that what I just did with my powers was, like, absolutely necessary? For sure. But, more importantly, you and I, we're the best friends, right? No. Regular friends? Just let it happen naturally. Fine. Future best friends? <laughs> Audrey rolls her eyes, but they exchange a smile, bonded by their secret. And over credits in the tag, we're in Yogurt World the next day. Seth does a walkthrough with corporate, showing the new sign on the wall that says, Limit, one free sample per customer. Thus, my idea uh -huh, adheres to the company's policy that, uh, while still allowing customers you know, to feel special. Audrey, annoyed, turns up the TV. Chris sweeps up. How's your dog? He's doing great. The vet says I can pick him up tonight. You know, Audrey, there's just one thing about your situation that I can't figure out. Just one? I'm telekinetic, Chris. The whole thing is bananas. In most comic books, when a great power is unleashed upon the world, there's usually an equally strong evil power to balance it out. So who's your nemesis? Huh. I don't know. Sabrina the Teenage Witch? People who Instagram all their meals? The devil? I hope it's the devil. That'd be cool. They watch as on TV a breaking news story appears. A local Bank of America has just been robbed, but what's unusual is this security camera footage that's just been released. In the security footage, it's black and white and hard to see, but it looks like piles of money are floating out of the bank. We're getting conflicting reports that this is possibly a hoax, but the suspect responsible has been caught on tape. 
and we see a grainy shot of the male suspect's face. Oh, no. What? Oh, no. Do you know him? Yeah. That's my brother. And we fade out and defile. Hi, I'm the JV Club Podcast, Janet Varney, and I used to suffer from indecision. I couldn't choose between Star Wars and Star Trek, whether to call or text, or the best way to cook my eggs. But now, thanks to my weekly dose of We Got This on Maximum Fun, my decisions are made for me. Thanks, Mark and Hal. Warning, We Got This may cause shouting, phone throwing, the illusion that the hosts can hear you, laughter on public transit, and death. We Got This with Mark and Hal. We know what's best. All right, I'm here with Colleen McGinnis. Hey, Colleen. Hey, Andrew. Um, I will, uh, I'll start with the way I like to do, which is to tell you my favorite joke. In this case, I have two. It was a real toss-up. Um, one, which was a real crowd favorite, which was uh, when Chris, when Audrey says to Chris that there's too many candles, it's like a lady lawyer on TV is about to take a bath. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> the audience loved that. But my other Thank one... You. Um, which I feel like the audience didn't wasn't quite with was when Audrey says this place is going to look perfect, and Lisa says thank you. I'm not perfect, but I try. <laughs> yes. Which was just I just love that that character just hears the word perfect and assumes someone is complimenting her and goes yes. right. It was just like such a nice little character moment for Lisa. So oh, thank there you, you go. My thank two you. favorite my two favorite jokes. Um, so. Tell me, because we just really met, yes. at, uh, and listeners may may not know everything about you. Um, I hope not. How how did you start in this whole comedy writing? In the biz. In the biz. In yeah. The biz. Um, I uh, had some very humble beginnings. I mean, I came out here right after college. I had no money, no car. I hopped in a friend's car. We drove cross country from New York, and. Um, you know, I should back up because I did come out here for a week as an intern to a director named Claudia Weil. Uh, she was one of the first female directors, and she did this movie called Girlfriends, which is really great. And it was sort of like a precursor to girls in a lot of ways. Like if mm. you watch it now, you know, Lena Dunham had screened it at BAM, and it's just it's lovely. It's with uh, um, Eli Wallach and Bob Balaban and Christopher Guest. And yeah, you know, I've heard of this movie. Never great seen cast. It, but yeah. yeah, it's a good one. Um, but uh, so I came out here for and like a week. You were coming out from where? Where from, were you from? Um, I'm from Long Island okay. originally. And so I came. Oh, and I didn't tell you this. So the first night that mm. we were in LA, um, I'd never been on the West Coast. It was a big deal. Uh, we went to the set of Friends. Oh. Yeah. So maybe I met you. Oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was crazy. Did it was you see like, a filming or did you? Yeah, just, yeah. We okay. watched a taping, and it was like at the height of the Friends madness, and it was so cool. And uh, I remember going backstage and meeting Deborah McGuire and seeing the costumes, and you know, seeing some of the cast, oh, and nice. it was I'm sure I was there. Amazing. Yeah. So, um, so really, you are you know the reason I came out Absolutely. is okay. what we're discovering. Case with most people. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, so anyway, so every day that week that I was out here, I would you know, be dropped off on different sets and meet with different directors and writers and everybody was very adamant and said, you have to come out here. And I was like, really? Because I really had that Long Island girl dream of like moving to Manhattan and Sex in the City and they were like, it's just so much harder out there. So unless you have a trust fund, which I did not, you know, you should really come out to LA. So back to the cross country trip. Um, my first job, uh, I got through Glenn Padnick. Do you know who he is? From Sony? 
Uh, he was at Castle Rock. Okay. He, um, I had gotten his name through a college friend, and he had taken his son Robert Padnick, who's a comedy oh, writer, okay. yeah, to yeah. Um, to tour Harvard, and he saw a play I was directing weirdly, and so we were talking, and Glenn was very nice, and then at the end of our, you know, informational meeting, uh, he said, you know, I don't have anything here except the receptionist is leaving, but you don't want to do that. And I said, I'll take it. And so I was a receptionist at Castle Rock for uh, two or three months. And then I got a job as an assistant at New Line to Richard Brenner uh, in development. And he was doing a lot of comedy at the time. And uh, I just, you know, I wrote at night and on the weekends and I shot a short film that was a comedy. And from a script I wrote and that short, I got an agent. Okay. Yeah. Um, And how... Who delivered your material to that agent? How did you get did. it to the agent? Me. Just you. <laughs> well, what was happened? Was it an agent that you were dealing with in in the capacity of your jobs? I mean, not exactly. I, I should say, I what happened was I was an assistant, so I was in that assistant world where we were all getting drinks and we were all broke and we were all like struggling. And so a bunch of my friends were kind of like wannabe manager agents. And so I gave my stuff out and really just looking for some feedback, but also with the hope of like, I don't know, maybe someone will, will like this. And, you know, that's how I got a manager who was a friend of mine. And then the managers actually took me around to the agencies. So I guess actually the manager bridged the manager. that gap. Yeah. Okay. But I really feel like it was just through that assistant network that was yeah, so helpful. Yeah, it's so key. Yeah. Uh, and it's why people were wise to give you that advice that you have to come out here. Because yes. it's not about just the fact that the jobs are all here. It's that agent you know assistant rather that is you know network that yeah ends you're, up happening you're in it. with your peers and as they're all coming out if everyone can help each other out yes um, and I always tell people you know when they ask for advice and they're looking for first jobs I always say obviously try to get as close to like a writer's room as you can or whatever it is that you want to do if you want to direct you know assistant or director but um, I try to tell them you know if you can get into a high traffic situation that's the advice I got I was up for a job with like you know, a uh, producer or something, and they just said, just try to get where there's a lot of people, you know, and I thought that was pretty good, pretty good advice. Right. So. A lot of people physically in the office, but also yeah. just that they're doing a lot of business with, yes. that they're connecting with lots and yeah. lots of people. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so you get the manager, you get the, uh, and you get the agent. Yes. And then what happens? Um, and then nothing <laughs> for a long time. I, uh, I was, it was a tricky situation because I was working on the desk as an assistant, but I was trying to go out for these meetings and the feature department had signed me. So I was going on for these like film meetings. And as you know, the film industry is just very, very, very slow. Um, so there were all these great meetings, but nothing was happening. And I couldn't leave, you know, New Line because I needed the money. My boss was like, you can't keep leaving. You know, I felt terrible. And finally, I just had to kind of take that jump. And I said, you know, I think I just have to leave. And um, I looked for a job that had nothing to do with the industry and, and worked in a restaurant for a couple months. And I finally said to my agent, I said, you know, maybe I could get a TV agent, you know, like maybe that would move faster. So I met with someone and um, then I got a call that said, you know, they're looking for a staff writer on Mismatch. Do you want to go meet them? So uh, Darren Starr had created that show for NBC and Imagine and it starred Alicia Silverstone. Um, I don't know if you remember it, but sure, it got canceled after one season. Right? So, <laughs> you know, and the funny thing is, is at the time, uh, you know, it was a little bit of like a light one hour. And I remember like Alicia was on the cover of Entertainment Weekly and she was so sweet. And we were all like, yay, Alicia's come back. And then there was this other show 
that was coming on. Everyone was like, ugh, who cares? It's called Joan of Arcadia. And it was like a giant hit, you know? Friday night was a tough night, I think, for a show like Mismatch, which was about basically a single woman sort of out on the town. And uh, this is before you could like DVR stuff. It was like right around yeah. the rise of that. And so I think that the core audience was out on Friday nights, you know? Yeah. So that was, so you did a season of that. Mm -hmm. And now you've gotten the first job. Yes, yeah. And then how easy was it to get that second job? Um, you know, the second job, it came up quickly. It was sort of a weird uh, schedule where it was a summer show for Fox. And it was called North Shore. Uh, and it was about a hotel in Hawaii. And there were a lot of um, sort of like top heavy people on that show. It was a lot of like people had deals with 20th. So like Kevin Falls was on the show. He's all these Emmys from the West Wing. They're all these like really great writers. And yet the material, it was sort of funny. It was like a campy show about a hotel. Um, but I learned a lot. The, the writers on that show were so great. And I'm friends with a lot of them to this day. But the funny thing was, is that Fox was a little bit schizophrenic about what the show was. So it started out as kind of like a family show. And then at some point the OC started doing well and it was paired with the OC. So all of a sudden Fox was like, you know, make it sexy, you know, have a lot of sex on the show. So all of a sudden we were just throwing characters together <laughs> and being like, you guys have sex now. And, and then it was like, wait, maybe not, you know, maybe go back to family. And we're like, forget it. No one can have sex. And so it was a very interesting experience. Um, in regards to a lot of voices, probably too many opinions, you know, and how that can hurt a show. But it was a very, like, fun and pleasurable uh, so, work but, experience. So that's two one-hours. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, at the time, I didn't realize, you know, that there was a kind of uh, really strict one-hour track and a half-hour track. Yeah. You know, I just made this comedic short, and I, I wrote a film that was a little less comedic, and uh, just sort of flung that out in the world. But um, what I did after that was I took a little break from TV and I was doing some feature stuff. Um, and when all those scripts, you know, never got made and just sat in development, I came back. I did another one hour called Mercy for Liz Heldens, who I'd met on the North Shore. Um, and then I wrote on a show called Love Bites. And it was a show that Cindy Chupac had created for NBC. Um, and what eventually happened with that show, there were some tricky things that happened, like the star Becky Newton was supposed to play a virgin, but then she got pregnant. <laughs> and so we really had to write ourselves out of that one. And what had happened at some point, um, the, the show was run like a comedy. And so there was one room with a story room and then there was a room that did punch up. And I really liked it. You know, I just thought, oh, this is... Being in the punch-up room? Yeah, I just thought it was really fun. And I just, I liked just the, there were more um, comedy writers on that show who had come from Half Hour. And I just felt really like happy and excited and comfortable in that environment. Well, never comfortable, but you know, <laughs> um, closer to comfortable. And um, so what I did was I wrote a half hour script and um, I gave it to my agents. And that was the year that they said, you know, 30 Rock is uh, looking for some people. Would you want to go on that show? And I said, that's my favorite show in all of television. So yes, please, anything. And didn't think anything would come of it, but uh, you know, eventually got a call that I should go meet on that show. Okay, and so then you moved to New York. Yes, yeah, I moved to New York. And you were in 30 Rock for how long? Uh, the last two seasons. Okay. Yeah, and it was very, like, pick up and go. It was like, you know, at some point they were like, okay, fly out and meet with Tina, and then I didn't hear anything for a long time, and I just assumed I didn't get the job, and, you know, and then all of a sudden it was like, all right, can you move to New York, like, tomorrow? I was like, yep, <laughs> got it, um, here we go. <laughs> and so you're going from 
So that's a very joke heavy oh, yeah. show. Yeah, the most um, the most joke the heavy, most show. Joke heavy yeah. show. And you had really only had the experience of this one of Yes. Uh, yeah. So it was just a little bit intimidating. Yeah, what was that? What was <laughs> and it's also you're coming on to a show late in the run yes. with probably a lot of people who've been there for most of the time. Yep, absolutely. That's a very scary situation <laughs> it, to walk into. How was totally it? how is. many weeks was it before you felt like you could start talking oh, in that like, room? Never. I mean, <laughs> I never felt like I could. Um, you know, yeah, it was a very intimidating, terrifying experience. And at the same time, like, you know, I made a lot of great friends and there were so many like amazing people in that room. So it was just I'm always like scared to pitch anything and say anything, and yet you have to, right? You know, and it was a hard thing to do like to sort of separate yourself from being a fan of the show, you know? I mean, I really, really, really loved 30 Rock. And the first day that I walked into Silver Cup where we shot, you know, they had a bunch of the props everywhere, like the little blue guy and Don Geis, like frozen. It, it just was everywhere. And I had to like check myself and be like, I, you know, I mean, I can get excited, but I have to calm down, <laughs> you yeah. know? And at a certain point I was in my office, I think it was like the first or second day and you know, if you've watched the show, you know that there's a janitor character named Subas, and like he came into my office, and I was really confused. Like I didn't realize he was a real janitor, like at Silver Cup, <laughs> and so like everyone thought that was funny, and I just it it took me a second to like get my bearings for sure. Um, but uh, everyone, yeah, everyone was great. There were also about three other new writers that year, so that was helpful. Okay. I wasn't like the only new person. There That's were really helpful. A bunch of us dummies, yeah. Yeah, that you can. Yeah. Look to for Cling support. To. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> totally. do you? I don't know if you would ever remember, but I, I think it may be hard for people to imagine how really how hard that is to walk into a room like that and yes. sit at the table and just where to begin. Yeah. Because you, know, you don't want to come out of the gate. You want to be the person <clears throat> that day one is pitching too much. Mm -hmm. But then it can be that thing where you go too many days and mm -hmm. you haven't said anything, and now it's you're the person who never talks, it and it harder gets harder and harder. And harder. Yes. Do you remember, was there a first pitch that like scored and felt like, okay, now I'm all right, or did that... Yeah, I absolutely remember. I mean, I remember that all of the new people, I think we like got there pretty early. Like, I think, I thought I had gotten there first, and it turned out another writer had gotten there before me, but like walked around Silver Cup for a while, like, so he didn't look like he wasn't cool. <laughs> so I looked like the, <laughs> the nerd, um, which is fine. But I remember sitting in my office terrified, and then sort of hearing like everybody else come in like all the other writers and Tina coming in and everyone like hugging and just being like what the fuck am I doing here you know I knew one writer Ron Weiner I had met him once or twice and he was so nice and I have never been more grateful for a hug he like gave me a hug and I was just like <laughs> I probably held on like too long and uh and then I remember we all walked in to the writer's room which was pretty big it was at that time the staff was probably like 14 people so it was a huge table it was not like a small intimate room it was pretty pretty large and we just started to talk big picture you know and to their credit you know tina and robert i think tried to make us feel comfortable and basically said some version of like we're happy there are new voices like that's what we need right now we're looking for new ideas you know please speak up tell us what you think um, and again, still terrifying. Um, but I do remember that day throwing out an idea that maybe Jenna could host like a reality show and that she would be a really funny host because she would, like a judge, that she would just kind of hate everything. And I remember Tina kind of took that and ran with it and other people started pitching on it. And we did a, an arc where she was, was like 
um, America, what is it? Like something about kids got singing. I can't remember. It was just like a ridiculous, like sort of American Isles, Idols, like kind of show with kids. And so Jenna was just being like, you know, you suck, like to every kid, you know, jump back in your mother. And like, it wound up being really fun. And I thought, okay, that was something that I pitched on that first day. Right, because you came in prepared and you I had, tried, yeah. yeah, I tried to think. And I had been that dork who like asked Robert Carlock if I could, you know, what should I be thinking about? You know, can I, I tried to read some scripts or look at the notes from last season. You know, there's no way you can really prepare at all. Um, and they, uh, they're so in the moment, like all of those writers were so good at just, you know, listening to each other and then building off of each other that it was less about coming in with prepared ideas and more about, you know, can you make something of this right. in the moment? Yeah, and I think it's what's hard to remember is those showrunners and everyone there, they want you to succeed. Yeah, <laughs> They yes. need some new energy in the room. They're not there to just, you know, beat you down. Hopefully. Right, right, yeah. Um, so when was the first development experience for you it was right this, well, yoga world's not the first it was no. not your first <clears throat> it was um uh it was right after 30 rock like when things were ending you know it was such an interesting thing to like be part of landing that show to be honest like coming up with the finale and and talking about just what the last x number of episodes should be and um i don't i don't know were you there for the end of yeah. friends yeah, yeah. no it's, it was incredibly was hard like? i mean yeah. so much so much pressure yeah. We were also following not long after the Seinfeld oh, finale, which everyone had hated. Mm -hmm. And it's just, just like, okay, you know, that added even more pressure. Right. And they can't be in jail. Yeah, All the jail no, ideas got yeah. shot down. Um, right. No, and at the same time you're dealing with that, you're also dealing with a lot of the emotion about this thing ending. Yes, yes for sure. Um, and it, it, was, it was extremely... Yeah. Hard. Um, but I, as I remember, we kind of knew basically what we were going to do for yeah. the end. And I'm sure you, you guys know about the beginning of the season, what, like where you were going. We, you have a... we started plotting it out like in a way that we hadn't plotted out the season before, right. to be honest. And there were only 13 at that point, which was a little bit easier also. Um, and so there were certain boxes that we had to check. Like I remember it was like, Liz has to get married, but no one wanted that to be like the ending. It wasn't like she's been building to a marriage, right. you know, but she had always wanted a kid. So we talked about maybe that would be more of her ending point. And for a long time, we sat, you know, there were a lot of uh, hours spent breaking stories about Jack becoming the mayor. And that was like where we were going to put him. And it never quite clicked. And at some point, I remember we were all together and it just came up that like we hadn't really nailed that storyline. And Tina, again, to her credit, was just like, oh, we don't have to do that. <laughs> you know, and it was like, oh, you know. And so then the, the ending that came to be happened very quickly. Like, as soon as we were freed from this mayor idea, all of a sudden everything started to kind of line up, you right, know. Which is, yeah, it's good show running to yes. not just stick with something just because, oh, well, we planned on this and we built it that way. It has to be this. If at a certain point her instinct was just like, you know what, maybe this is just not working. Yeah. Not every showrunner would would do Pivot. that right absolutely no tina's always so great about that of like trusting that something better is there yeah. you know there's a better idea and um, the other thing that we had locked into was that jack's mother you know lane stritch uh, yeah. colleen donaghy was going to die and so that was the episode that i wound up co-writing with jack burdett and that was a sad episode and that's probably around where people just started crying like you're saying with the emotion <laughs> like i remember we started we used to sit around at lunch and watch like um 
just ridiculous. Now I'm embarrassed to say that we used to watch like Celebrity Apprentice. We used to watch like <laughs> Amish like reality shows. Remember those? Mm-hmm. Like just a bunch of garbage. And um, at some point, Tina came in and was like, "Maybe we could use this time more constructively." And she suggested that we watch some really great finales. You know, of like Mary Tyler Moore. And we watched Frasier. And I remember one of the writers, Tracy Wakefield, started crying at the end of Frasier. You know, <laughs> and so it was. You know, it was really emotional. Um, but to get back to your question, you know, towards the end of the run, uh, at some point, basically, Tina came to me and just said, you know, do you have any ideas for development? And I was really flattered, of course, and dying to work with her again. So, you know, I came up with um, something uh, that I thought she might like. I, I had done an episode with um, uh um, Jean Winters, mm-hmm. who played Dennis and her boyfriend on the show, and he and I really clicked, and, and, you know, I knew that potentially they wanted to, you know, develop something for him, and I loved working with him, so I, uh, I pitched this idea of, like, okay, so it's, like, um, Dean Winters running this bar, and then there's this woman who kind of blows up her life, and it turns out, you know, she's, she needs to get sober, she's a mess, you know, she's like a train wreck, and she winds up connecting with him and it turns out that he's been sober and they have this kind of like will they won't they thing like he's a dirtbag and is like the least likely source of wisdom for her but they wind up connecting so a little bit of like a take on cheers to be honest you know and um tina suggested setting it on fire island which is a place that you know she loves and that i grew up loving and it just seemed like sort of like that movie local hero you know mm-hmm. just like a like a brigadoon kind of a thing where you could just have this little world f- full of weirdos and broken people right. <laughs> you know and that there's comedy in there so that was the first pilot okay yeah um and you sold that was that for nbc yes yeah okay yeah and so that one didn't go yes correct so you had that experience yes. for the first time yes uh, exactly and then was this this was the next season this was the next one yeah and so uh at a certain point I just started thinking, okay, you know, maybe I can try something else and something really different from what I've done. And um, I'd had a meeting with uh, Matt Damon about a different project that right. wasn't... Right. And Ben talked to you about this in the yes. interview before. Yes, about, exactly. You know, we were all sitting there jealous, like, oh yeah, so you just got <laughs> Matt Damon to like go right. into the, the rooms with you. Yeah. That's, um... Well, it was funny because I turned down the, like, the show that he was doing and I felt weird about that because like who wouldn't want to work with Matt Damon but it really wasn't something that I felt I had in my wheelhouse and uh he said later like that just made us want you more right. you know <laughs> Is that Hollywood that's another thing? good lesson right um, exactly. the power of a no you right know, it's that, okay it to just, say no yeah yeah um, so yeah and and you know remember talking a little bit about the short story that it that it came yes. from and um okay so now we get to what was the untitled Colleen McGinnis pilot but that we we decided to call Yogurt World for the yes. purpose of, uh, <laughs> of this read. Right. Um, Yogurt World. I don't know so why we didn't call it that. We, fl- we like flipped around a bunch of titles and like, you know, you just have a lot of people who have to agree. And Yeah, titles, you know, are, so titles hard. are hard. And then, it's like the hardest well, thing. It's so hard. It, I found that I often, <clears throat> if I think of a title simultaneously with thinking of the idea, mm-hmm. then that will probably be the, the title. And if right. I don't think of it, that day when yeah. I come with the idea, then I will struggle and we'll go back and forth and it'll be a million different Never. titles. It's just kind of, yeah. what people forget is the title, 
eventually just becomes a sound, whatever it is. True. It just doesn't, you stop thinking about it, and yes. whatever it is is going to be fine. But right. People... And you can change it. I mean, and I was just on this show forever, called Forever. <laughs> it also felt like forever. No, I'm just kidding. Um, some lovely people named Alan Yang and Matt Hubbard ran it, and they did not come up with a title. So every, like, you know, sort of piece of paper that we got was, it just said like untitled Yang Hubbard, like on everything, which like I thought was really funny. And I guess that's how they had done it on Master of None and forever came in as a last minute kind of title. Right at the end. Yeah. yeah. So Yoga World. Yoga World. Yes. Um, so now people have heard it and we okay. don't have to worry about spoilers. I was curious, <laughs> listening to it again, let's talk about, because the, 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 op- the opening, the mm-hmm. beginning, because Beginnings of pilots. I talk about this all the time. They're so hard. So hard. So oh. you start yes. with this weatherman yes. talking about the sun activity, and he, and it's a somewhat heightened moment yes. where he behaves in a way that no actual weatherman right. <laughs> would and freaks out. And right. So talk to me about starting the pilot with that. Um, I guess I just wanted a little bit of like real science to ground it, you know, and. I had spoken to a couple of people, one of whom is a doctor who like knew about these coronal mass injections and blah, blah, blah. And they said, technically, yes, that could cause some kind of like disruption in someone's system. And that was good enough. Like, it could? <laughs> Great. <Right. laughs> Thank you. You know, and uh, it's not really my area of expertise, but I just felt like uh, I didn't want it to be total nonsense. I mean, of course, it's all crazy, but... I just thought it would be cool to try to find some actual reason where like there's a one zillionth chance that this could happen to people. Right. You know? And not like Freaky Friday style that it's right. not just a like Chinese magic. restaurant. No one places yes. a, a curse and not right. that. But Although that's great too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm not knocking that. Right. Uh, so, but, so you wanted to have some kind of grounding, mm-hmm. um, but the weatherman, the way he delivers that news, yes. what was the tone you were trying to set there? Are you just trying to tell people this is a comedy, get ready for a comedy? Or are you trying to establish us in a world where out of the ordinary things happen? Yeah, I guess I, I was going for a little bit of like a panic mode, like we're at the brink, you know, slightly. Like I always feel like stories are helped by you know, we're about to jump off the cliff, you know, it's some moment of desperation for somebody. And so if you could believe that, like, maybe we're at the point where weird shit is happening, you know, to the environment and the universe, which is actually, you know, happening. um, And that maybe in this world, it's happening a little bit more. It's heightened um, that maybe that would be helpful just to set it up. Uh, And but yes, of course, setting the tone for for comedy, you know. Um, And then yeah, I think I talked a little bit about that early scene of introducing Audrey and how that was uh, something I got a lot of notes on. And for the read, I went back to like an earlier version, which was very satisfying. Right. <laughs> That's <laughs> the great thing that. about Dead Pod Study. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. So because you really wanted her to be someone who's kind of stuck and going nowhere. Yeah. And I think that what happens is there's a, or at least at the time, there's there was this kind of network mentality of like, She's got to be good at her job. She's got to yeah. be a winner, you know? And it's just, you know, the opposite of who this character is. And I think they just wanted her to come out of the gate with, like like I said, this strong comedic point of view. And they just wanted her to be kind of leading the charge. And, you know, I, I appreciate all of that. And I actually, you know, I love a good note, you know, of course. But I felt like that one was tough because 
I just wanted her to have more of an arc, you know? I yeah. wanted her to end up at a different place at the end of the pilot where she starts to blossom, and I felt like we just have to start her back a little yeah, bit. Yeah, someone who's already you know? powerful getting powers is yeah. not as interesting as someone no. who feels completely powerless. So. Right, exactly. Um, but it, you introduce pretty much the whole cast in mm-hmm. that opening yes. scene. Yes, Um And... There isn't a huge story point, really. There's, you know, Chris is introduced, but you um, have to just give us a sense of a bunch of people all at once. Yes. How hard was that, the writing of the introduction of our main kind of gang of people, even before Seth enters? Were there yeah. a lot of versions of that? Or Yeah, I mean, that's always hard. You know, I always, it's like you said before, beginnings of pilots are always hard. Um, I think that group scenes are always hard like you're trying to service a lot of people you're trying to give everyone a voice we're figuring out who these characters are so I'm like looking at it being like does that make you understand Lisa you know does that make you understand Bucky um it's a lot to balance um and I do I forgot to mention that while I was writing this I found out that I was pregnant and so (laughs) in addition to like the you know sort of horrible process of writing um i was definitely like running to the bathroom and throwing up (laughs) so that was fun um so yes it was it was all hard of course it's always hard yeah yeah because when you are introducing characters every single thing they say Mm -hmm. we're all looking for clues right what kind of jokes do i expect from this character and so everything is so full of meaning those first few lines and sometimes you have a concept that that carries you part of the way but in your case here you really are here we're meeting a bunch of co-workers they're yeah. shooting the shit really right um, right and how are you going to have each one of those first jokes tell us okay what is the shit yeah what is their particular <laughs> yes. shit yeah um, yeah and they and you know i remember fox and universal very much wanted like the vibe of like not exactly the office, but like that kind, like a workplace kind of thing where it's like it's mundane, but it's also fun. Like there was a lot of like make sure they're having fun. So right. like I felt like I kept writing in the action lines like, but they're having a really good time, you know. <laughs> and I think I took some of that out for the draft that you read. But um, you know, I felt like um, Lisa is definitely probably like related to Jenna on Thirty Rock. I mean, for sure, and uh, who's also related to like Betty White on Mary Tyler yeah. Moore. You yeah, know, these that's... character types. Yeah, that's and a fun. Existed, they go way further back than, than even Mary Tyler Moore. Um, yeah, well, I uh, my my television history stops there, <laughs> <laughs> but I believe you. And uh, I um, and then Bucky, I felt like was just like a sad kind of guy, and I don't really know. He he wasn't really inspired by anything on TV, just more like people I knew, you know. Um, and uh, and then I probably you know relate to Audrey, and so you know I tried to make it relatively grounded but you know yeah no they're they're popping off jokes so it's hard (laughs) um and why we didn't really talk you said you'd written a short story set in this yogurt shop but why a yogurt store i don't know um i shouldn't say i don't know Um, my therapist always says don't say i don't know um i uh i there's something i like about frozen yogurt places in addition to the frozen yogurt which is that like they're very small and they're very simple, you know? So to me, it reminds me of, like, you know, when you watch, like, 70s movies, like American Graffiti, just those, like, simple kind of summer jobs. Like, to me, like, working in a frozen yogurt shop is that, you know? It's, like, very innocent. 
and um, I just thought it would be a good setting. Like I hadn't seen that before, yeah. you know. So that's before the I good place, from. really. Yes. For, yeah. Exactly. yogurt everywhere. Um, yes. And did you have concerns about having a series that was <laughs> set in such a sort of small stakes kind of business? Or? Um, clearly not. <laughs> <laughs> Probably should have been. Um, no, I felt like. Uh, it was good because Audrey's stuff was so high stakes. I yeah. felt like she's like dealing with this like sort of unimaginable power of like you could change the world, you have these insane um, gifts and powers, and that it would be a good contrast to go back to something that is so like mundane and low stakes, you yeah. know, where like literally the story was, yeah, they can only have X number of toppings now. Like, and I, I think those kinds of situations are funny. Like I like thing, I like small stories and I felt like the frozen yogurt place was not complicated in a way that would be helpful so that the telekinetic stuff could be complicated. Right. We all understand how that business works. Yes, exactly. People give you money yeah. in exchange for yogurt. Yeah. Um, at what point did you have the twin brother reveal at the end in your mind and I should say mm. I don't know if you can hear it on the recording the audience there was a really audible gasp um, <laughs> that was so cool. which had to have been quite satisfying mm -hmm. but at what point did yeah. you unexpected um, have an idea that her twin brother was going to be kind of the antagonist going forward um, pretty early on when I pitched the show like when I pitched the series that was a big part of the pitch like um, in terms of you know the full season and where it was going to go and even in future seasons that it wouldn't just be about <clears throat> her stepping into her powers, but the fact that she would have this very complicated nemesis, you know, this brother who, you know, she loves but is not close to and who's using his powers in a very different way and all the um, struggles that she would encounter because of that. So, yeah, that was part of the, yes. the original. And how, so aside from that, how much did you pitch when you sold it in terms of where the series was going, in terms of series arcs? Um, I mean, that was, I feel like that was a lot of it. Like I came up with a bunch of sample episodes and then like three or four series arcs and some of them had to do with her and Chris and some of them had to do with her and her brother. Um, and they got kind of complicated. Like they definitely got into action sequences and I had spoken to, there's this magician, David Kwong, who's like, does a lot of practical effects and we had talked about those and I mentioned those in the pitch and like, I was really excited to do a show that, um, yeah, I guess wouldn't be limited to just the frozen yogurt shop, you know, that you sort of start there, but that by the time you're in like the last episode of the season, it's a little bit more like an action, you know, like right. a comic book kind of show, you know, to be honest. So yeah. she, the journey was generally her twin brother using these same powers mm -hmm. for evil and her being the one who's able to stop him. Yes, exactly. That she's the only one who's matched up enough to do that. And then that helps like push her out of her shell that again, she's still reluctant um, which I really like. I like having a reluctant hero, but like she's just forced into action because of her stupid brother. Right. And were the comic books, I mean, were you a comic book fan? Was the TK and the Bear thing something you had to... I just made that up. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I never read any comics. And it's funny because my husband is super into comics. And uh, so I don't know if that was just his influence. I do see all the Marvel movies and I'm writing on a comic book show now that I, I really enjoy. Um, but I think it was just... Uh, like, I've always loved, like, Superman too. you know? I think just as a fan, I liked that stuff. And I never felt like I could just write that. And so I guess this was my way of exploring it. Because it was like, it's a comedy. You know, I've done this before. But, like, right. I'm also going to try to dip into something else that I'm a little, like, nervous about. But definitely intrigued by. But still, you know, from the perspective of a protagonist who you related to. and Yes. Yeah. Um, so 
I don't know how much we talked about when it didn't go. Yeah. I know there was a regime change. And yes. Yeah. All of that. Yeah. How was how was the process after the no for you? Um, I mean, I was pretty pregnant, I think. So I was kind of <laughs> so like, you had something else oh, major well. to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, I was a all little right, bit so like you were going to be busy. That's helpful. Well, That's good advice for for, for writers uh, when they have a pilot in development. Yeah, getting pregnant. Get pregnant. Yeah. yeah, just get knocked up. Um, no, I mean, of course, I was sad. You know, I think that. Uh, I've gotten used to it, um, sadly, but uh, it's just part of being a writer, which is that, you know, you work so hard at birthing these characters and really putting a lot into it. And at a certain point, you know, something gets made or it doesn't. And um, you have to kind of go through this little death, you know, to be honest. And uh, it was a bummer, you know, it was a huge bummer. But um, but I'm actually talking to Jeff Johns. We're talking about maybe doing these as like um, some graphic novels or comic books or whatever. Oh, cool. So, and, just, so tell yeah. people who Jeff Johns oh, is. Oh, yeah. So Jeff Johns is my um, my current boss. He's a showrunner on the show called Stargirl, um, which is coming out for uh, the DC streaming or Warner streaming. And uh, it's a new show based on a comic that he wrote called, yeah, called Stargirl also. It's with uh, Luke Wilson and Amy Smart and um, this girl named Breck Basinger and Joel McHale's on it. It's got a really fun cast and uh, it should air at the end of this year. Okay, and so you're talking with him about adapting, yeah. using this character yeah. and starting with graphic novels and then maybe... Yeah, or comic books and, and sort of seeing where that goes because I do think it's a really fun you know, world um, and uh, I, I do feel like sometimes you know uh, projects can have another life you know, somewhere else and maybe it wasn't right for Fox at the time, but... Uh, you know, reading it again and hearing it was really, you know, got me excited about it. Yeah. yeah no, it, it's these kind of high concept half hours yeah. are always a hard sell. Mm -hmm. And then you have something like The Good Place or Last Man on Earth. And it's like yes, people love, love yeah. them. Yes. Um, 100%. But they're very hard to get past the gatekeepers. Yes. Um, yeah. There's a real resistance. Yeah. Oh, it's a, it's a gamble. And it's hard for them, I think, to see it, you know, because it doesn't exist before. And yeah. I remember the one thing I felt bad about saying during the podcast was like, don't do crazy original ideas. And I don't mean <laughs> that. Like, of course, do crazy original ideas, especially now that there's like streaming and stuff, which there wasn't as much. It wasn't really an option so much when I was doing this. But um, I just mean for the network game, I think, you know, people are just looking for something else. You know, it's. Yeah they're looking for a little bit more of like a, a safety net and you know have we done this before is there like a previous example of this working before yeah, what Great. are the comps uh, yes. we want to see the comps the comps yeah yeah um no you make a good point i mean i, I think for the networks if you are going to take a big swing like this it mm -hmm. has to be with the open eyes that you know the odds are against yes it going that's exactly that doesn't right. mean you shouldn't try because something like right. the good place you know i mean that yeah. was a yeah. unique thing where they said all right michael Scher, do whatever you want. Right, I know. So it's not so everyone awesome. gets that. Yeah, um, yeah. But you would think that something like that, really catching on, would want them make them take some bigger swings, and yet that's right. generally not the case. No. At least at the networks. But it's you're always right. tough. There's all these other, I mean, whatever the Warner Brothers DC. Yeah. I mean, this is this it's is an outlet stuff. that didn't exist. Yep. Still doesn't quite. I mean, yeah. it's only starting to exist. <laughs> we still don't understand yeah. it. Yes, um, still not real. Yes, but they're they're coming. There's more outlets and you know and all that stuff. And and you know the the other great part that I got out of the process certainly was, um, you know, I loved working with Universal and um, 
you know, Matt Damon and Jen Todd, who ran the company at the time, like they were great. They were such awesome producers. They were so like, do whatever you want. You know, they were like, we've got your back, go for it, go crazy, you know, and they helped with anything I needed. And they definitely pushed me in the direction of experimentation and trying something. And I feel like that's everything, you know, when you're a writer, you, you feel vulnerable, you know, like it's hard to, to try things cause you don't know either. Yeah. And it's nice to have, um, someone like Matt Damon saying, do it, you know, go for it. And uh, I really appreciated that. So it was a really great process overall, I'd say. Well, great. Except for the ending. Except for the ending. <laughs> but that's, you know, yeah. you have no control over that. Right, exactly. Well, I'm so glad that you uh, entrusted us with it. Oh, and, thank you, Andrew. Uh, it was so fun. It. It, was, it was an awesome experience, and uh, I'm just glad it, yeah, that it was okay. I was so nervous sitting in the audience, <laughs> like, sure. oh, of course, fuck, of this course. is like the last one to go up, <laughs> and what if no one laughs? It's like throwing a party and being afraid that no one's going to show up, and yeah. the actors did such a great job, and... Uh, and you did a very nice job with the stage directions. Oh, well, thank you. Say. Yeah. Thank you. That's a good note to really end on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks, Colleen. Thanks, Andrew. Bye. And that is it for our show this month. Thank you so much to our associate producer, Noah Findling. Please, please subscribe to this podcast. You won't, then you won't miss an episode. It'll just show up when there's a new one. And it'll just be, you'll be so happy. Like, oh, there's a new Dead Pilot Society. And you'll know because you subscribed. While you're there, leave us a rating. Don't complain about the sound. Most of the time, it's really good. Uh, follow us on the evil social media outlets, Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod, and on Instagram and Facebook at Dead Pilots Society. That way you'll find out about all of our live shows. We are still working on when the next one will be. But if you follow us, you'll know. Uh, let's see, next, uh, next time we've got Sexy Justice by Johanna Stein will be our pilot. Thank you for listening. I'm Andrew Reich.